Hi everyone, this is Julian, the Resilient Entrepreneur with episode 7 of the Resilient Entrepreneur podcast. And uh, today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be kind of interviewing myself because um, I got a little bit of a dry subject today. But I think it's important for every entrepreneur out there to think about this at an early stage and not wait till it's maybe too late to adopt your current situation. One of the questions I get more often here, especially in Bali than any other one, is where to set up my business for success. And in the past, I have made the strange experience. I actually counted it up. I think I was director in 12 different countries at this point. And um, so I've made a lot of experiences, good and bad ones, of how it is to set up companies in different countries and how it kind of affects everything else you do as a business, how it affects your banking, your transactions, um, what services, what software you can use, which one you might not be able to use and so on. And it also just makes a huge difference. People like to think just at the final amount of taxes they pay, but there's so much more that goes into this um, to really put together a domicile strategy for your company and a residency strategy for yourself that is safe, uh, legal, and beneficial to what you're trying to do. So I'm going to be doing an event on Monday, and you might be interested to attend that event. It's going to be at Zin Cafe in Changu at 6.30, and we are going to be talking lean, legal, and sexy, which kind of will sum up my experience of setting up companies in all these different countries and helping you as an entrepreneur to figure out what's the best strategy for yourself. I'm going to start with a little example of what can happen if things don't go right and you might be going into the wrong jurisdictions or you're not doing it right. Um, I can now almost laugh about it, but I was under investigation for six years in Germany for money laundering and tax evasion. Um, and then it was turned into like shareholder fraud or something like that. They never found anything, so now I can kind of laugh about it. But those six years were super, super stressful because uh, we were raising capital at the time. My mother was a very high-level politician, so it's a very sensitive subject. And we really live in a world where you don't have to find a judge, you find you guilty of anything. Just the situation that you're under investigation can kill your reputation, your access to capital markets. And still, if I'm looking for what I did between the years of 2009 and 2015, I can go back to this massive pile of paperwork that was acquired by a prosecutor in Germany um, just to find out what actually happened within my companies. And all I did back then, I remember it, um, I used to be working for an investment bank, so I had a little bit of an idea what a financial holding was. And when I went into the cleantech business, I thought we were onto something that might be worth a few billion dollars at some point, which is building small machines that can convert waste streams into clean electricity, heating, and cooling. And because I was a resident of Germany and I didn't want to pay taxes on that billions of dollars I might make on this brilliant idea one day, um, I set up, first of all, a holding structure in Hong Kong, which in itself is absolutely legal, right? So if anybody tells you anything else, to set up a company in a foreign jurisdiction is in most places in the world, I think all cases, um, is legal. So I did that, and then I, laud I, I, I sent money which they later thought might be laundering, from a personal account in Germany to the company account in Hong Kong. And then the Hong Kong company established my German parent company. 
Like the one that's actually going to be doing the projects, going to be doing the R&D, has the staff and everything else. And the big benefit now for myself, and again, that's perfectly legal, is that if that company in Germany becomes really, really successful and I want to sell it one day you know, in form of an IPO or M&A or something like that, um, the profits, the proceeds of that sale will remain in that Hong Kong entity. And that was the plan, and there's absolutely nothing illegal about it. So I did this transaction from a local bank in Germany, and actually one bank teller person thought this was kind of fishy, had never done such a big international transaction, and flagged me. And that was honestly an investigation that it could have killed my career, my reputation, our company, and everything else. And literally people were called in for questioning into police office and everything else, and it took them six years to shut it down and was a major threat to the company that was building at the same time, raising capitals on a global scale. So this is a little bit my really first terrible um, experience I've had in Germany, and I've never, you know, done, in, I was never been to jail yet, I was never accused of anything in, in my, my history, so um, that I actually could be in a, such a long investigation, there was nothing I can do about it, and I could just see it hurt my business. Really, really surprised me, because I didn't think this would be possible in a place like Germany, but once you're under investigation, there's really not much you can do. So what did I learn from this thing? First of all, be very, very careful how you set up your structure. Second of all, even be careful what kind of banks you're using. Don't use one that is too small while you're doing your initial setup because they might get seriously surprised. And third of all, no matter, you might be doing something that is absolutely legal, but it's so vital to keep all documents intact because if you got you know, investigated later or questions by the tax authorities, you better have all the documents ready to define what personal income you got from what and why money was generated in one place and maybe spent in a different place. And that's where it gets really, really complicated. So if I look at the most of the entrepreneurs that I deal with here in Bali, um, they're starting small businesses, and there are really two kinds of businesses that I think should define where you're going to set up your company. The one thing is, if you pay yourself, right, in any kind of way, generally you're going to be liable for taxes on that, right? So if somebody tells you, you can just pay yourself whatever you want to, and you're going to be tax-free just because your company is in a low-tax domicile, this is just absolutely illegal and bonkers, so please don't fall for it because you might bring yourself into serious, serious trouble. So just remember from step one, if you're a resident of the United States, if you're a resident of Australia, of Germany, you know, any Western country that has an income tax, which I think like 99% like of all countries out there, um, you will be liable for taxes on whatever you pay yourself. So no matter where your company is domiciled, the moment you pay yourself and you have your residency in a certain country, you will be liable for taxes. And that's just something you have to live with. And, um, you know, there are different ways to optimize that and come to a tax level that you feel is comfortable and fair to you. But generally, you have to pay taxes on it. In that case, your residency, your personal residency, becomes much more important than the domicile of your company. So the first thing I tell people when they want to decide where to set up your company is I do make a massive difference also for my companies if these are companies that are doing consulting work, for example, that might be making a few hundred thousand euros a year, or am I working at a company that is going to take outside investment money, right? A company that might IPO one day or have an M&A or something like that, because that already kind of limits the jurisdictions I would go for. So if you're going for a company that's many doing consulting, maybe online selling, 
and you want to have you know kind of an A-list jurisdiction that is politically stable, that has a good banking system, gives you access to all the software products that you probably like using, maybe like Zero or Stripe. Um, the service are very vital for many people that are using that are in online commerce, for example, and e-commerce. Um, I, for example, personally use Latvia as uh, my domicile for my company, but as well also for my personal residency. And I'm going to go into more detail that a little bit later. Um, my bigger companies, like my power company, my clean tech company, I did set up um, through a structure in Singapore. And the big difference for that is that Singapore is, I think, apart from the United States, pretty much the best residency right now if you have a large capital company because you can bring it to Singapore Stock Exchange. You can also pretty easily list it on NASDAQ if you want to. You can go with it to Hong Kong or Shenzhen Stock Exchange. And uh, it has a very high level credibility with outside investors. They feel comfortable investing in Singapore the same as they would in California, for example. There is certain shareholder um, benefits and also shareholder um, legal um, Yes, boundaries in place that kind of limits your power as a director and what you want to do. So I think these are very shareholder investor friendly jurisdictions. So I'll do that at this point from Singapore and also from California, because I think this company are going to be needing a lot more capital in the future. Um, I'm not doing Hong Kong anymore. You might be wondering why that thing is on the list um, as Hong Kong is stronger and stronger integrated into China. Um, and also pretty much as riots in the streets. Um, I don't feel comfortable right now doing business in Hong Kong. This literally can go any direction, I think, over the next few years from a political perspective. And I simply, if I have the choice, don't want to have my company taking on any external risk that I can't control for no reason and no benefit. So I'm not doing Hong Kong anymore. And also what is a big point, though, if you choose between Singapore and the U.S., is that um, the credibility of U.S. companies and the likability in Asia for, and the rest of the world has really suffered, especially during the years of the Trump administration. So if you show up now in Asia with a U.S. company, you're going to be highly unpopular. And uh, vice versa, people do get confused if you're doing a fundraise in the U.S., for example, and your company is domiciled in Singapore. So, you know, both sides get confused. So think about how much money you need to attract from outside investors and where these investors might come from. And that kind of gives you, you know, the answer to should you be in the U.S. or should you be in Singapore? I think these are the two big jurisdictions out there right now. Um, the U.K. for me is out because of Brexit. Who knows where the hell that is going? The Australian Canadian capital markets are simply too small. And if you look at real offshore jurisdictions uh, like Caymans or Seychelles Islands or something like that, I just don't think they offer an attractive environment to outside investors to look at your company. It at least always sounds fishy to me, even though it doesn't necessarily have to be illegal. Right? So um, quick summary. So small company, I go to Latvia. Big company, I go to Singapore or California. And uh, yeah, this is what I do for a big company. Why do I go with my small company to Latvia? Um, there were certain reasons uh, for myself. The one is that uh, from my last company that I built, I've run into massive um, financial obligations as one of our investors kind of went rogue and I signed uh, one of the deals personally to guarantee it. So um, I was amazed how different you're handled as a director if something bad happens to your business. You have to go into insolvency or restructure. So I was actually smacked on a massive tax fine out of Germany that came 
directly from the corporate restructuring onto my personal account and I signed off a deal and guaranteed a 20 million deal personally. So um, in Germany, had absolutely no protection whatsoever, was in a very hostile environment um, legally. So I was looking for a place where I can do a personal insolvency pretty quickly if I have to in the future. And um, so that's what kind of brought me to Latvia because, you know, if you're director of a business, depending on where you are, I was not aware that the risks between running a company in the UK, the US and Germany was so, so different because in Germany, they really, really get you very, very hard, even though you have done nothing wrong and no judge really has, you know, sentenced you to anything. This is simply by an automated process pretty much that blames you as a director for the actions of your company. And uh, I think there's a huge risk in building any kind of business, especially if you build a capital-intensive business. So I think that's really almost unacceptable. And if you have the choice, why would you do that to yourself? So already go into a residency, maybe yourself as a director, where you have really, really good protection um, for your family, for what you have in your own assets. So if something goes wrong with your company, that risk is always there. You at least, as well as possible, protect it. So... That was the first thing I really liked about Latvia. And then the second thing is that I've been traveling for 25 years. Um, I left Germany when I was 17, but I kept my residency for a long, long time in Germany. And um, that kind of creates problems if you're in an environment that is not fully digital, right? Sometimes I need to go to an office. I need to file for paperwork. I can't, if I have to fly over every single time, I need to get a certificate for my daughters, for example. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of money. I'm going to spend a lot of time. So it was very, very important to me to be in a jurisdiction where I literally can do everything, including my taxes, digitally, and I can do it online. So I don't never have to go to an office. And as far as I'm aware, in Latvia, the same as in Estonia, there's actually a law in place that kind of obligates the government to do everything with you online once you have your residency. And that obviously works really, really well for me because I never really know where I am and if I have to go, you know, like in Germany, for example, to a notary personally to make a change to the shareholder structure of my company, something like that, obviously I might not be around and may delay everything, right? So um, I really like that part about Latvia. It's fully, fully digital. I don't have to go there very often. Um, I also like the tax regime. It's not considered a low tax or zero tax jurisdiction. But it has one massive benefit over many other countries, like Germany, for example, and that is that I can at least defer my profits. In Germany, for example, I have to pay 30% taxes on any profit I have at year end. Even if I know that I'm going to be spending it a few months later, um, I really cannot stack any money aside without having to tax it first. So we live in a heavily volatile environment. Right now we've got a massive coronavirus going on, so I really, if we make some profit, I would really suggest that you figure out a way how to keep some money stashed up for a rainy day fund. So having to pay 30% of taxes on my, my rainy day fund really, 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 really bugs me. And uh, I would much rather, you know, do it like I do in Latvia, where I can simply defer those taxes. And as long as I keep them in the company, I actually don't have to pay any profit taxes for that corporation at all. Is there a limit to how long I can keep it in there? I don't think there is right now. So I can pretty much defer this you know, business profits indefinitely and use it really as a rainy day fund and also obviously pay a lot of business expenses out of there over time. And I think this is a very, very good way to reduce your tax burden on your company in a fully legal way 
being fully compliant, still having access to your capital. If you need to withdraw money as dividends, um, yes, you're going to be paying between 20 and 25% in taxes, but there are also different ways uh, that you can reduce that. So you might be coming up with, you know, ultimately maybe a tax rate of 10% on your profits or just leave it in there and you might end up as low as zero. So it's a lot of it's up to you about uh, good documentation. And uh, I just thought that was a very, very um, helpful system. And I also like that Latvia is currently not like on a blacklist or something else. If somebody says they have an e-business in Latvia or Estonia, um, I think they're innovative. It doesn't have the smell of, let's say, Saudi Arabia or Cayman Islands. Whenever I see somebody's invoicing me from the Cayman Islands and he's sitting next to me, I'm like, it just looks ridiculous to me. It always looks very, very fishy, and I would be very, very careful. But this is a company that's within the European Union. Um, you barely own, ever have to pay VAT anyway because you're not going to be doing any business within Latvia probably. So um, I think it has a lot of benefits. As I said it has low tax. Um, it has a fully digital system. I get a super cheap insurance as a resident. Um, so I see a lot of benefits over working from Germany on my small company, which is not making that much revenue, but that's why I do all my consulting and everything else through a lot of things that I spend, obviously, a lot of income already over the next coming months on business expenses anyway. So uh, very, very practical and also very cheap to set up. In my experience in the U.S., in the U.K., and uh, Place like Hong Kong and Singapore ultimately always ended up spending about a thousand euros per month on overhead, on auditing, on accounting, on all these different people I might have had to work with. I remember doing taxes in Hong Kong, for example. None of that was digital. All of this was done with accountants who barely spoke English, so it took four times longer to do that. And like a yearly audit report would definitely cost us between eight to $10,000 just for the audit report, which we need every single year. And would kind of, you know, occupy us for a few months. So um, I just don't think that's worth it. I think that's wasted money. And so in Latvia, I can pretty much run my entire structure of the company for under 500 euros a month. And um, I think that's very, very beneficial. And I like that I can use all of my favorite financial products that I use, which is mainly Revolut and TransferWise for banking, as well as Zero for accounting and Stripe for credit card processing. All of this worked without any kind of limitations from Latvia. So I thought for me it was kind of the perfect jurisdiction. And if anybody has any questions about that, of course, I'm more than happy to kind of set you up with the right connections there to, to move a business. You're going to be staying within the European Union, so it's actually pretty easy to set that up. Um, as I said, my larger companies are still working from Singapore, uh, again, where we need to have a resident director. It's also very easy to set up. It can be done just as Latvia and within, you know, regular one or two business days. Um, you can choose your own name, and it's pretty easy to operate from there. Um, also, there are a lot of government grants available um, for both jurisdictions. Actually, Latvia is a very good jurisdiction to participate and so-called Horizon 2020 projects, that means European Union co-funded projects. They really, really like the Baltic countries because of their low level of corruption and they're actually getting stuff done. And uh, so when I do European Union projects, I always check that I have one or two companies out of the Baltics in there because they have such a high respect level at the European Union for their own projects. And I think that can only be helpful. 
Um, Singapore in itself, if you look around on their website on Singapore Business Enterprise, um, they have a lot of government grants available all the way down to like paying for CRM systems that might co-pay. In our case, we like to build prototypes there. We work a lot with universities. So Singapore is literally investing a lot of money and making your company stronger. So if you have any kind of connection or, you know, a hardware um, angle to what you're doing, it's also worth looking at Singapore for this government grants and see if they might work for you. We have done that very, very successfully. The other things that I think are important for every startup entrepreneur thinking of where they're going to domicile their business is to think of this as early as possible because once you have created a value in any kind of jurisdiction, it's very, very difficult to move it around later on. And that's what I learned. There was still ultimately a positive thing about Hong Kong because once your company is really valuable and maybe you might be, you know, filed for some tax returns already and it's in the public eye because you're running, you know, an internet company and everybody can see that you're doing really, really well. Uh, don't think about that you're just, you know, going to move the company to a different jurisdictions to save on taxes tomorrow and then you're going to sell it and nobody's going to come after you. So just don't be an idiot at that front. Most companies have, you know, kind of exit taxes. That means if you want to have any kind of assets and you want to take it out of the country, you're going to pay something for it. And they can get super, super, super expensive. A lot of companies in the past have done it via license deals where they set up, you know, companies in Ireland, for example, and then just kind of they bought a license for their product. It's still legal. Um, it's looked down upon. And I think there are a couple of loopholes that are going to close in the coming years, especially from the U.S. Um, so the best protection is is build your business already from a favorable jurisdiction before it's worth anything. Um, because once it's worth something, it gets very, very difficult to move things around. So don't just think that you can just move any assets around globally. Generally, there are going to be some taxes attached to it. And if you, you know, find out about it two, three years later, and you might have moved around the value of a company, let's say you've done an investor round and your company was valued at 50 million, and you moved your shares around, you own 50% of that, suddenly, you're supposed to declare 25 million euros in assets if you move the shares around. And um, maybe nobody notices until you sell that company years later, and then you get a tax bill for 25 million. But those taxes on that, depending where you are, they're going to ask for that in cash and not in shares. So if you're like paper rich, like I used to be incredibly paper rich, um, but low on cash, this literally might break your back. You're going to, you know, go under for owning real taxes in real money for, you know, something that has no, um, you know, liquidity at this point, which might be stock in your own company. So to make that easy understood, don't move your shares around once they're valuable something. And that, you know, value can be questioned. Obviously, different models look at that. But let's say you're selling shares at 50 million valuation and you move them around. Be prepared that maybe the tax authorities might come after you later and say, listen, you move assets around for 25 million euros and we want to have 30 percent tax on that. And even though you say, listen, I didn't make a dime on it. It was just a paper valuation, but I haven't exited the business might not stop them. And there you suddenly sit, you know, whatever in Germany with a seven and a half million dollar or euro tax bill. This needs to be paid in real cash and all you have are the shares in your company, right? So this can really, really kill you ultimately and everything you work for. So don't move assets around once they're valuable. Set up a structure before they become valuable, right? Um, 
The other things to kind of consider, I think, for everybody is like the banking system, for example. Am I in a country that has decent banks or am I assets going to be seized like, you know, there were in Cyprus uh, just a few years back? Incredible that happened in the European Union that just because you had money in a certain bank and that bank was at risk, they would whatever take 20 or 30 percent of your assets out of the bank to pay, you know, to recapitalize the bank. Kind of crazy. So there are a few jurisdictions that I really, really just would stay out of for volatility. So you're not going to hear me talk much about it. For me, one of the Saudi Arabia, um, you know, in Saudi Arabia, at least in my experience, you pretty much have no rights as a foreigner whatsoever. The same kind of is true in Dubai. It's really nice to have, but things could change so quickly. And you feel so foreign as a foreigner in my own experience that um, I at least don't feel like I can recommend it. And then you obviously have, um, you know, a lot of really small countries that are offering these favorable tax deals um, that, you know, are also under massive pressure from the U.S. and the European Union to change their tax regime. And there's really not much these countries can do, right? So, you know, if you're a small Caribbean island, um, right now you must still might be protected because of, you know, a lot of Europeans and Americans are hiding their money there illegally. Um, but at some point, that will obviously come to an end. And if the pressure really comes down, the small countries, what are they going to do? So those systems might change very, very quickly. And also, they often don't have a very strong banking system. So again, there I recommend is keeping you know, your main cash in a place with a major bank that is decently um, um, protected, while you keep the funds that you use for you know day-to-day -day operation in your company, I move around very, very low cost with service like Revolut or TransferWise, for example, where I have access from anywhere in the world at any given time. Um, also, access to your software programs. I've talked about that Stripe. Uh, you want to be selling on Amazon, for example, right? It gets very, very difficult if your business is registered in Mozambique or somewhere else. So um, go for an A-list jurisdiction in order to be you know, able to participate in this global environment. Then we come to the tax rates, um, and this is often what people look at first. They just look at the final number and say, listen, this has a 0% tax rate. Um, I personally don't think that should be the driver of why you're putting your business somewhere. Um, I think there are many other reasons that are much more important, um, like credibility of your business, needs to make sense, needs to look good, needs to be investor-friendly and everything else, um, because these are the things you're going to need to be successful. And don't forget, you know, you have to make money in order to have to pay taxes. If your business is not successful, you don't have to pay taxes anyway. So it doesn't really, really matter at the end of the day if you pay 0% or 50% or nothing. All right, so please don't forget that. Um, there are obviously different tax rates all over the world, and they can, you know, change drastically. I come from Germany, for example. We have about 30% corporate tax rate, and then if I pay myself as a dividend out of that, I pay about 25% capital gains on top of that, or I can just pay myself 50% um, income tax out of what I pay myself out of the company, right? So I don't have a lot of savings, but I've worked for a long, long time. So, I mean, obviously, that really, really, really hurts. Um, you can bring that down with the very legal jurisdictions such as Latvia, you know, as I said, to maybe 20, 25 percent. And you can keep your profits in the company without having to pay any tax at the moment. And that's really already a huge, huge benefit because you might be able to reduce your tax rate to maybe 10 percent overall, depending on how high your business expenses are. It makes a huge difference if you pay 30 or 10 percent on your taxes. And again, this is fully, fully legal. Just be prepared that 
um, people might ask, you know, why certain expenses show up in the company and not with you personally. So something simply to be aware of to really, really keep your paperwork on good track. Then there are obviously places that offer even lower taxes, but currently none of these places that really offer super low taxes are jurisdictions that most people feel comfortable with. So another strategy behind that other people have used before, and I said I've done that with Hong Kong, but again, not for tax purposes, but um, for structural purposes. Um, Hong Kong is not one of the lowest tax jurisdictions in the world. It's like between eight and a half and like sixteen and a half percent. So it's not on the super cheap side. Um, but what we built there was a so-called holding construct, and that gives you the opportunity, to say, to set up one company that holds all the assets, maybe just the shares in one company, and then once those shares kind of get super super valuable, um, this company sells the shares and then pays taxes wherever um, those shares were held. A lot of countries also have offshore tax legislation. That means you only pay taxes on income generated within a certain country. And that really gets interesting also for Hong Kong, for example. If you don't do any um, business in Hong Kong itself, you know, your tax rate drops even further. And there are a few um, constructs I've used in the past and some of them that I still really, really like and maybe you haven't heard about. Um, we had a holding structure, for example, in Puerto Rico, which is part of the United States, and um, is a very, very well-regulated um, uh, market, and it's an investor-friendly market, and it offers almost the only opportunity, if you have assets that are currently within the United States, to move them around to a friendlier environment um, without having to leave the U.S., that really has some incredible benefits without going to too much detail, but you can pretty much reduce your tax load to zero on a personal, on a corporate level. I think it's one of the most um, underused tax vehicles in the United States right now. It might actually be the only one that's really, really worth it. Um, then there's some other ones that uh, I like, uh, for example, uh, which I have not used myself, but I've heard really good things and I'm considering um, is uh, a trading company within Labuan in Malaysia. I lived for a few months in Malaysia and I always liked it as a very, for me, very well-organized um, Southeast Asian country and Kuala Lumpur is a great place to visit. It's easy to get to, cheap flights, very good banking infrastructure. And uh, this is something, a vehicle that most people don't know about. But, um, you know, you can pretty much reduce your corporate taxes to zero if you go to a place like Labuan in Malaysia, which I think is one of the best kept secrets, uh, at least in Asia right now. Um, so these are the only two I can like really kind of recommend. Uh, there's no such thing right now in, in the European Union, as far as I'm concerned, at least nothing that, you know, sounds really good to anybody on the outside. So Labuan, I think, is under the radar. I think uh, Puerto Rico is under the radar. I said I stay out of the other Caribbean uh, jurisdictions um, for the reasons I already mentioned. So to this kind of two-stage level, you can even reduce your taxes further if that's what you're looking for. It gets a little bit more complicated, and you really should have an accountant on your side that knows um, everything about cross-border transactions, arms-length transaction, because anytime you have now a uh, transaction going on between your holding company and your active company and yourself, um, this could bring up the issue of intercompany pricing and everything else, and if the tax authorities decide that you're, 
you know, selling under value to other markets in order to avoid taxation in the right jurisdiction. Again, it can get super, super expensive and super, super complicated and might ultimately, you know, really jeopardize your business. Uh, one of the very first financial raises I've actually done in my life was for a restaurant place um, in the United States. And they never really had very well produced documents showing the entire cash flow and revenue. At those days, you know, restaurants were a little bit more cash based than maybe than they are today. I don't know. Um, but that actually made it impossible at the end to really find investors to buy in because, you know, if we would have declared real profits, somebody might have come back and say, listen, it's the same restaurant. And why haven't you declared that much in the past? So this can really, really hurt the prospect of your business. And if you think about selling your business at some point, don't forget there's going to be an entire due diligence happening for months where they look at your corporate books and everything else. And if you're reading a place and you're poorly documented and it has no shareholder protection and everything else, and it's not, uh, you know, at least Puerto Rico is, is, is very close to the SEC, there are investor benefits to being in jurisdictions like that. So just don't go too crappy. Don't go too small if you want other people to buy your company or be part of the company. So this is, I think, the most important facts you need to look at from a corporate perspective of where you need to go, where you want to set up your business. To make it very simple, if you have a small business, you want to stay close to the European Union, I do suggest Latvia. If you want to go international and big, go to California. You can also have your office in California, but be registered in Delaware. That's how I have done it in the past. And then I really, really can um, recommend Singapore as a place to do your business right now. But this is all on a corporate level. And that brings me back to the one deciding question that I had at the very beginning. Uh, the moment you pay yourself personally, you're going to be liable for taxes no matter where you are. right? So this is then based on your residency. And residency is usually defined by your place of you know, normal residency, you know, the center of your living. Um, if you want to be more details, most country kind of take the 183-day rule. Do you spend more than half of the year in that country or not? And that makes it very, very complicated for people like me. I was on the road for the last eight years, and I used to travel 360 days out of the year. So um, theoretically, there could have been four or five countries asking me for taxes wherever I went, So, which is easier just not to pay myself um, because it really could have very, very gotten very, very messy. And once one country claims taxes from you, it's on you to just kind of convince them that you're not liable for taxes in that country. Then again, you have other countries like the U.S., for example, where you're liable for the taxes on your global income anyway, and you will have to file your taxes no matter what, even though you haven't been to the country in a number of years. If you're a U.S. citizen, really get some very, very good help. I've seen so many people get burned over mistakes that they have done outside of the United States or thought that they could take some kind of money on, on offshore funds or something like that. It's super, super backfires. The U.S. really literally knows every transaction, every bank you work with. So uh, just be super, super uh, careful. And just remember, if you pay yourself and you're a resident of the United States, you will have to pay taxes in one jurisdiction or two jurisdictions. And um, then there are ways to avoid double taxation, but it gets complicated and can get super, super messy. So residency. Um, I have ultimately moved my residency for the reasons I described, which was one was legal protection. Uh, second of all was a lower overhead. And third of all, for me, most important was that I'm now with Latvia in a jurisdiction where I can do everything online so I don't need to fly back to just take care of paperwork. If I have somebody like yesterday I was meeting with a friend, he says, 
I have to fly home to Canada because my bank is not willing to send me a new credit card and I left mine. I'm like, that's like $2,500. I just, that guy is just losing flying back home to Canada because their bank is too stupid to offer him a new card and make changes to his accounts. And I've seen things like this happen with the birth certificates of my daughters, for example, that uh, um, my, my youngest daughter was not born in Germany, for example. Germany is a total pain in the ass and it probably cost me five to six grand just going back and forth and talking to people and trying to figure out what documents they need and ultimately having to fly back all the way to Malaysia to get a certification from the German embassy on a Malaysian document. Again, 2,000 euros burned for nothing because I'm in a place that barely, barely accepts anything that's digital and that can really just cost you a lot of money. So I have moved my personal residence to, to see to Latvia. Uh, for me as a European also, that is very, very easy because it's within the European Union. So all I need to do is go there, um, I need to find a residence, I need to find an apartment, uh, two visits on site, and I got my residency card, and that kind of set me up to do uh, anything but voting in Latvia. Um, other countries like Singapore, for example, also have great uh, visa options, for example. They have the uh, entrepreneurship visa, for example, that you could file for. They have gotten more and more difficult as Singapore is kind of clamping down on immigration in general. And as Singapore is hitting a recession already, um, that actually might get stronger over the coming months. But still, it is possible for many people all over the world to become residency in Singapore. Um, if you are coming from a different country and you don't really know where to go, and it's not easy for you to move anywhere else, um, there are a few ways to go about that. Um, you know, you can get... If you're an engineer, for example, we've got the blue card system in the European Union that makes it very easy for you to move there as an engineer and maybe cooperate with a different, um, with a different company to move your residency. Um, there are obviously kind of like golden ticket uh, visa options. Uh, again, there, Latvia is actually very interesting for about 50,000 euro investment into a Latvian company um, and some extra fees, you might be able to get uh, residency in Latvia, even if you're a Chinese resident, let's say, for example, or you're coming whatever, from the Philippines or some other country that has very, very high obstacles of becoming residency anywhere else. So it really defines your ultimate tax load and how easy you can operate your business is the domicile of your company and your personal residency. I can go on about this forever, but I feel that it's getting a little bit dry. And I want you to ask some questions um, or drop me an email or wherever you listen to this, just ask a few questions. I'm doing the presentation on Monday and I'm going to be taping it. And I want this to be as beneficial to you as possible and really share my experience. Obviously, this can go on a lot, lot longer. There are other people that do nothing else for a living than offshore tax law. But I just want to give you my impression, and I still hope that it's interesting and exciting to you. Um, I found in the 25 years of running businesses that saving money is just as good as making money. Um, sometimes it's easier to save it than to make it in certain situations. And I always look at all the factors that cost me money and taxes, and the overhead of running companies definitely one of them. Uh, when we were at our biggest at Entrade Arensis, we easily paid a quarter of a million a year just on corporate structures globally. So this can really, really get out of hand if you're not careful. And even though you might be setting up a company that might only cost you a few hundred euros to get started, if you feel that it might cost you as a structure, you know, ongoing a thousand, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand a month, uh, you really might think later on that you might made the wrong decision. So. Drop me a message. This is obviously my first talk about offshore tax structures and where to put up your business as a nomad and as an entrepreneur. 
drop me a message. Please hit the subscribe button. Stay with us. Stay tuned for the next episode.